Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Faith Restructure. This is Mike, and you are listening to another episode of Monologues. So this week, you'll be hearing from me, and next week, you'll hear from Cole a little bit. Um, and as we were talking about the idea of what we wanted these monologues to be, it was largely just an opportunity for us to let you guys see a little bit into the way that we're thinking about things and how um, we're processing our own faith journeys and the questions we're asking and the things we're wrestling with or some of the conclusions we're sitting with for the time being until maybe they don't work anymore. Um, so we hope that's helpful for you. And um, I guess what I can invite you guys to think about with me this week in particular is the topic of wisdom. Now, that's not a new idea in that we've been reading The Wisdom Pattern by Richard Rohr for some time. But, um, you know, wisdom is a really difficult topic for so many reasons. Um, I preached a sermon on Sunday on the book of Job, and that's not exactly my favorite text to preach on. It's far more fascinating to teach about. There's less at stake, but preaching, um, I think, brings a different kind of weight with it. Uh, I think all things considered, it went well. But one of the points I made in that sermon and that I want to unpack a little bit more here is that Job is a part of a genre of literature called wisdom literature. Now, of course, all of the Bible is calling us to wisdom. Like We don't want to get bogged down by not realizing that, but there are specific texts in ancient culture and, and beyond that, but certainly ancient culture that are written specifically as wisdom texts, texts that are called or, or created to call us to pay attention to wisdom, to seek out wisdom. And the problem is when we read these texts and expect them to behave differently than they were intended to, and that's all of the Bible for sure, but especially wisdom texts. Now, I'm not going to do an entire uh, sermon again on Job or a lesson on anything like that. But, you know, some of this was pointed out to me in undergrad, but um, some of it's come over time. But an example is the book of Proverbs. So in scripture, the wisdom texts are typically known as Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Job. Some people would even include Psalms in there. I think there's some validity to that, but let's just stick with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Each of those three texts are not there for us to just memorize answers and give them back when a situation occurs. And I think that's often how we are taught to read our Bibles. And there's a, a strength and weakness to that, right? One of the issues in, in, from my perspective, a progressive Christianity in a stereotypical way is that we are so freeform with the way that we think about um, our faith and the Bible. that, And there's so much trauma, I think, often for the way people have learned to have a relationship with Scripture that they don't read it at all. There's very little memorization of stories or passages um, and so on that it's, it, I guess in some ways, it's like we're seeing a movie for the first time every time. But there's so much unfamiliarity that people aren't as aware of what's actually occurring in Scripture. On the other side of that pendulum, uh, I think there is an issue with forcing memorization of Scripture to the degree that 
we have tricked ourselves into the mindset that if we just memorize the right Bible verses for the right scenarios, then we'll always be right. Everything will always work out. Every problem in my life, there's an answer in the Bible for it. I mean, there's all kinds of ways people have described the Bible. The Bible is a rule book. The Bible is a science book. The Bible is an ethical book. I mean, there's all kinds of things, and that's not how the Bible was ever intended to behave. Um, and I know I'm using kind of anthropomorphic language there, talking about the Bible itself behaving, but the Bible is a collection of books. Some analogies that I think are helpful is it's a library of books, 66 there were some that were um, put forth to be included and then they were chosen not to for a number of reasons. Um, maybe that's one of the things that you struggle with is that canonization process. We could talk about that one day. Um, but let's just say we've got 66 books. Some are 50 chapters long. Some are just one page long. And the way that we read those books matter a whole lot. Paul's letters are letters that are only one half of a conversation. That's important to recognize. Imagine trying to figure out everything and the meaning of life if you only read your half of a text thread with someone, especially when they were like angry texting you and just sending a bunch of stuff emotionally. Some of Paul's letters seem like that. We need to recognize that these, these texts don't all act the same way. And wisdom literature does not act the same way. Wisdom literature is not about memorizing verses to say, oh, no, I'm having a bad day. Let me look for the right proverb. And here's what I mean. And this was pointed out to me by Pete Enns. He was our first guest we had on the podcast. But we were in our wisdom literature class, and he started pointing to a number of places across all of these books, but in Proverbs in particular, because this is what gets it the worst, that in Proverbs, People think if you just memorize all the Proverbs, you'll live a perfect life as if it's a set of rules of how best to live when in reality, that's not how it works. So Proverbs 26, and I brought this up on Sunday to make this point briefly, but Proverbs 26 verse four says, do not answer fools according to their folly or foolishness, or you will become a fool yourself. Now, wow. That is like, let's put that on a bumper sticker, right? Like, that's so good. Don't answer fools that are acting foolishly because it's just going to make you look foolish. We all have been there. We know what it's like to get into those Facebook debates. We know what it's like to get triggered by whoever's talking about whatever topic, whether it's sports or politics or whether or not we really need rainfall right now. We know what it's like to feel like you're talking to a fool and you just get trapped in it and then you feel stupid at the end of it. That's some good stuff. Thanks, Proverbs. So that's Proverbs 26.4. Don't answer fools. The next verse says, answer fools according to their folly or their foolishness, or they will be wise in their own eyes. And we all know that. Am I really going to sit in the room while someone starts yapping about these things when I know they're wrong, but they think they're smart? Shouldn't I correct it? Shouldn't, if someone is spouting off nonsense to a room full of people I care about, shouldn't I step in and speak up and stop that tirade of nonsense? We've all been in that situation too. When someone is just creating lies before you, and you question, at what point do I 
call their bluff. Or worse, when they think that they are just so right and they've never even thought of the other side, shouldn't I step in and help them see the other side so that they don't just think they are the smartest person in every room? That's also a situation we know about. So the problem is if we just memorize Bible verses and plug them into the appropriate circumstances in life, then we're really in a, in a hard spot in Proverbs 26. Because verse 4 says, don't answer fools according to their foolishness. And the next verse says, do answer fools according to their foolishness. So which do you do? Wisdom is knowing when to apply which proverb. Wisdom is not just merely memorizing facts or knowledge, information, etc. Wisdom is about applying knowledge responsibly and properly. And the problem is in li we live in the information age, right? That's, that's how people have described it, the turn of the 21st century. We have smartphones in our hands. We have access to just about all the information we, we could ever do with. Um, there's so many weird like stats that people have come up with. Like if you printed out every piece of, you know, information on eight point font, it would go on for like light years, you know, like we're never going to be able to process all the information in our lives that are at our disposal. And yet some could argue we may be the most unwise we've ever been. Maybe it's because there's so many masters of none now. You know, we know a little bit about everything and worse than that, we think we're experts in everything. Um, that That's not true. <laughs> you know, like we, just because you listen to a couple podcasts about astrophysics doesn't mean you're an astrophysicist. That's not how that works. And yet that's what we see happening in our culture all the time. You see people like, I know the truth. You're all sheep. We know the truth about the Bible. We know the truth about the Democratic Party. We know the truth about McDonald's burgers. Side note, isn't it weird that McDonald's burgers at some point in the last few years started putting up signs that said now or 100% beef? And it's like, what were you using before? Like, you just totally outed yourself with that ad campaign. But I digress. Wisdom is about applying knowledge responsibly and properly. However, you can't do that in a vacuum. You don't get to just memorize the wise decision and then do it again later. Sometimes what worked in one scenario doesn't work in the next scenario. Sometimes memorizing Proverbs 26.4 is great, but it's not going to apply to the next situation. Sometimes you need to answer fools. Sometimes you need to not engage. And the problem is that when we look at our lives and we look at scripture and we look at it as if it's this linear situation where we can just arbitrarily plug in answers like it's a math equation, it never works. That's a problem with so many of these self-help books. It's a problem with so many of these diets as if keto works for everybody. It doesn't. Um, we have to figure out how to apply this knowledge properly. And that only comes from lived experience. There are all kinds of things you can learn. Don't touch a hot stove. You know, don't do all kinds of things. Yeah, I'm not even going to go down the list. 
But realistically, you can know logically that something is not a good idea and still do it. And until you reap the repercussions of that situation, you don't truly know it in your bones to be true. Wisdom is about learning on the job. Wisdom is about learning as you go and applying the knowledge that you were given before. Um, in Harry Potter, the Half-Blood Prince, let me go a step further. And you know, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm a youth pastor, Harry Potter. Harry Potter, Half-Blood Prince. I won't spoil it for you, though. If you haven't read it or seen it at this point, what are you doing? Um, but he get, you know, they join this potions class really late, and there's only two books left. And one, it looks brand new, and one looks like it's from a thousand years ago. And they fight each other, Ron and Harry, to get it. And Harry ends up with the crappy old book. And it turns out this book was, it said on the front page, property of the half-blood prince. And he's like, okay, weird. But every single part of the book had all these annotations in it, all these little markups, all these changes and measurements. Instead of five prunes, you use 4.27 prunes. And instead of crushing it, you slice it and et cetera, et cetera. And everyone else was struggling in this potions class, but Harry ends up actually reaping the benefits of this old, time-tested version of this potions book because while ever almost still trying to crush something he was slicing it and he was you know so far ahead of the rest of the class now that that sounds like a really lame reason to watch harry potter or read it it's actually a really cool uh moment and it's a very applicable thing sometimes we get to benefit from the wisdom of those that have gone before us that's tradition that's capital T tradition, and we've talked about that on previous episodes. That's looking at a living faith that's been passed down to us. But knowledge without direction is pointless. Memorizing facts for the sake of saying they're facts is pointless. And you all know we live in an era where we can't even agree on what the facts are. We can't agree on what truth is. Not just like in a philosophical sense, like we can watch the same situation and people from different ends of a theological or political spectrum can come away and go, oh, my side won. How do both sides think they won the same interaction? That's the world we live in. That's the world of knowledge. That's the world of this instability because we don't know how to apply wisdom to our lives. Wisdom literature and the scriptures and beyond but let's just talk about the Bible today. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, these are texts that are presenting problems and saying, here is a way to talk about it. Ecclesiastes, a very misunderstood book, same situation, saying, is life meaningless? Is everything pointless? You decide. Let me make a case for why it is. Let me make a case for why it isn't. There's nothing new under the sun. Proverbs. It's never-ending, just a bunch of little one-liners, often in conflict with each other, like we see here in chapter 26. Job, I mean, there's so much there to wrestle with. But one of the fundamental arcs of that story, beyond the, the cultural context of Job and his friends not being Israelites, us not knowing how to put it in a timeline, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. What happens in the book of Job is three people try to tell Job why he was suffering. 
and they speak for God and they speak completely wrong. And sadly, in many of our churches today, they talk with the same explanations that Job's friends had for his suffering, for the suffering of the world. Hurricanes happen because you lost your house because you lost that job because your relationship failed because this is the kind of thing where people weaponize faith in a way and speak for God in a way that is not true to what we see in the God of Scripture. Wisdom, wisdom literature in particular, presents us with situations and questions for us to wrestle with so that we can learn how to wrestle and do well ourselves. You don't walk away from Job with a clear answer on why bad things happen. That's not what the point of Job is. It does create a scenario where you wrestle with, okay, rain falls on the good and the bad. What do I do with that? Is God with me in my suffering? Is God complicit in my suffering? These are theological questions we have to wrestle with. Proverbs, same thing. Ecclesiastes, same thing. And those are just the specific books included in wisdom literature as a genre. But all of Scripture is about this. You don't read the story of David and Bathsheba and go, well, you know, but David, he was a good guy. Like, no, it's a story of who we are told is a man of God, a friend of God, et cetera, et cetera, who has done one of the worst things you can do. What that tells me is even the greatest people are capable of great, terrible things. I know my own capacity for evil, for pettiness, for gossip, for any other thing that we want to put under the umbrella of sin. So when I read any of those stories of David, yeah, there are great stories. There are terrible ones too. The story of him being a terrible father. The story of him being on the run from one of his children trying to kill him. How terrible is that? I mean... These are complex stories. It's not just something to stick into a children's coloring book. What do we do with these stories? It's not just memorization. Wisdom is sitting there in the text. And I believe in my faith that the Spirit is leading us in those places. But we have to give the Spirit the opportunity to speak to us. We have to trek through the mud and the difficulty of Scripture sometimes to allow the Spirit to speak. But we can't reduce it to just one simple thing. If you genuinely believe that your way of seeing the world or seeing your faith is just the right way, there are no holes in it, I don't care what denomination you're in, I don't care what translation of the Bible you're in, it, you're just wrong. You're living in a spirit of pride. You believe that, let's not even take, you know, Israel's history. We'll just do Jesus and up. For 2,000 plus years, that Christians were followers of Jesus, disciples, whichever words you want to use, that everyone else, they were almost right, but you got it right in 2021 out of 7 billion plus people on earth, you're the only one that's got it right. Or out of 3000 plus denominations, this is the only denomination that got it right. Or that Protestants are the only ones that got it right after the 1500s. What happened up to the 1500s? 
was everyone just like sitting and not really Christian yet until Martin Luther put his 95 theses on the door? These are the, like the straw man arguments that we sit in because we have to believe that we are always in the right because that gives us structure, comfortability, and it gives us the security of knowing we're good and everyone else might not be bad, but they're not as good as us. That's the message we put out. And sometimes we have a false sense of unity, a false sense of connectedness, like, no, we can agree to disagree. And then behind closed doors, you really just think the worst of the worst about those people. Wisdom says there's much more than meets the eye. Wisdom says there's much more to Proverbs 26 than merely memorizing it, much more to Job than just saying, yeah, you know, God can do whatever he wants because he's God. Is that a satisfactory answer? The next time you're in a car accident, are you satisfied with the idea of it just being God, the idea? It, it holds weight. In my sermon on Sunday, and I'll end with this, I referenced what a dear friend and mentor of mine said to me recently, reminded me of, and he said it just kind of matter-of-factly on the side, and of course, it's pretty simple, but maybe we all need to be reminded of this. Everything we do and everything we say tells people something about God, and more specifically than that, maybe we'll just take it a layer further. Everything we do and say tells people something about the God we worship. Sometimes the God we worship is not the God of Scripture. Sometimes the God we want our God to be is not that. And we see that pop up all around the world, all throughout history. The God of Scripture is not a God of slavery. The God of Scripture is not a God of injustice. The God of Scripture is not a God of pride or inferiority or nationalism or whichever words we're going to plug in. And yet, there are so many iterations of this faith that we share that are dead, that are not reflections of the God of Scripture. These texts are difficult. It's, it's hard to read the Bible. It is. But there is wisdom to be found there. It takes time. It takes energy. It's not easy. And that's why we're supposed to do it in community. One of the worst things, I think, that came out of Protestantism or the Protestant Reformation is the notion, I don't know when it started, but the notion that we are all supposed to go into our rooms alone and read our Bibles and come to our own conclusions. There is a value to that, to reading your Bible, to having a Bible in every hand that's possible, totally. But there is a deep, deep, deep downside as well. The Bible has been used to do terrible things, to justify terrible things. We need to come together in community to wrestle with these texts and recognize there are not clear-cut answers more often than not. How many times has Jesus asked a question and he doesn't give a clear answer? We have to realize that our faith is far more than about memorizing answers. It's about learning to walk with wisdom. So 
that is what I'll leave you all with today. I've been thinking about this in some more specific contexts, but I thought I would just piggyback off of some of this since I was bringing it up in my sermon on Sunday. Um, so what is the wisdom you are looking for right now? What are the questions you're wrestling with? Where do you need direction? Maybe read through Proverbs this week and think, how much wisdom is here? How many of these things are conflicting? Does chapter 8 line up with chapter 17? Maybe read Job. Maybe read Ecclesiastes. Maybe just sit in solitude and silence. But the challenge is to learn where the Spirit is moving now. To recognize that God can do a new thing. And it takes wisdom to recognize that it's not always going to look the same. Tradition, that's good. That's a living faith. That allows us to see how God might contextualize the same thing he did back there in a new way here. Traditionalism is for a dead faith. Traditionalism is saying we're going to do all the same things and read things exactly the same way and say the same things because that's what we've always done. And that's not how the world works. That's not how moving forward works. So where are you clinging to traditionalism for comfort, for structure, security? And where do you need to trust the spirit to lead you next? Go in peace, my friends.